We are starting a new sermon series for this term, uh, where we will be uh, looking at the Holy Spirit in the community of God's people. So what does it mean to be a Spirit-filled community? What does it mean to be a church who talk about and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit? And for some of you that have been around in Reading Family Church for a long time, this will be a familiar idea, but I think Kat's word that she brought during the prophetic uh, time in our worship about refloating some of us, uh, or maybe refloating us as a church in our experience of the Holy Spirit is really appropriate for many of us. Uh, It may be that you're new to RFC or new to this kind of church, and so this will be a great term for you to just explore what do we mean when we talk about uh, a community that's full of the Holy Spirit, a a people who know the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So every week, as well as talking about it, we're going to do it. Uh, So today, at the end of talking, we will welcome the Holy Spirit, who is amongst us anyway in a very wonderful way this morning. But we will have an opportunity just to go, come Holy Spirit, it's one, of the, um, it's one of the best prayers you can pray sometimes. Come Holy Spirit and do whatever you want to do, right? And um, because he's good and he always has stuff that he wants to do in our lives individually, but also in us as a community. And just before we uh, get into the word of God, uh, as we were worshiping, I felt there's someone sitting in this section over here. Wave at me, this section over here. Uh, there's someone sitting here and you are suffering from a broken heart, and um, I don't want you to minimize that. People have told you, oh, it's fine, you'll get over it. Um, But actually, I I feel God is aware of your broken heart. He's aware of the pain that you're going through at the moment. It's not minimized for him. And I feel that even during this morning, the Lord wants to touch you and bring some healing into your emotions. Is that okay? Um, I also felt there's someone sitting right at the back. Give me a wave if you think you're sitting right at the back. They're all a little nervous. Don't be nervous. Um, I feel there's someone sitting right at the back. Um, You have mouth pain. So you have pain in your mouth. And it's been with you, and it's like a sharp pain. And I feel that God wants to give you healing today. Okay, so we're praying in Jesus' name that the healing of God would come to you even as we look at God's word together. Okay. Today we're going to be in John chapter 14 to 16. It's uh, three chapters. We're not going to do all of it. Uh, But in this section, Jesus is about to go to the cross. So it's, it's, it's the night before Jesus is crucified. And he has been for three years, gathering a bunch of misfits and rejects and weird people and bringing them together and giving them dignity and making them feel part of a family and giving them a purpose to live. And he's been gathering this group of strange people and saying to them, through you guys, we're going to change the world together. And all these guys are going, wow, Jesus, because you're with us, I believe you. If I look at myself, I don't believe you. But because you're with us, I believe you. We're going to change the world together. And they're just starting to believe it. And then Jesus says to them, but I'm going to leave. So you guys are going to change the world. And they're like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Have you seen us? Have you, have you, have you been watching us over these years? How can a, you know, 
Not just how can I change the world, how could he change the world? How are we going to do that together? You know, this is the disciples. They were absolute shambles. And so Jesus, in these chapters, says, yes, I'm about to be taken from you. I'm going to die. Then I'm going to come back, but I'm not going to stay back. And then I'm going to go to my Father in heaven. But I'm going to send someone to be with you guys. And through knowing him, this community is going to change the world. Through all of history. Transform everything. And they must be going, wow, who is this guy? (laughs) Jesus says, it's good for you that I go because he's going to come. And they're thinking, wow, who is this guy that's going to come? And here Jesus is going to introduce us to the one that is going to come when he leaves. Jesus doesn't start something and then just leave us to get on with it. He doesn't start something and then just give a manual and say, right, here's here's a list of things you need to do now to get on with it. He doesn't start something and then give them leaders and say, right, now everyone, you see Peter, he's going to be in charge. The disciples would have gone, hell no. (laughs) Not Peter, what a nightmare. I'm not following him. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to give you someone who's going to be with you as a community. And in these chapters, he speaks five times about this someone. And so we're going to look at those five verses today, the, the kind of the promises that Jesus makes here about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And um, the word that he uses in these five verses, we just need to think about it a little bit because the Greek word doesn't really translate into English, okay? So we need to take a little bit of time to think about what does it mean. He uses the word paraclete or paraklitos. And, and he says, the paraclete is going to come and be with you. And for the disciples, they would have gone, all right, yeah, yeah, paraclete, I know what that is. And we're sitting there going, what is a para, a para what? A paratrooper? A paranormal? No, it's a paraclete. We don't know what that is. And you know we don't know what that is because if you read your English Bible, it keeps being translated differently. Sometimes it's, I send you a comforter, we read translated. Sometimes we read, I send you a counselor. Sometimes we read, I send you an advocate. Uh, We're going to read ESV today. It says, I send you a helper. So the Bible translators get a bit confused because this doesn't really translate into one easy English word, okay? So I'm just going to try and paint a few pictures to try and help us get a feel for what this word would have meant for the disciples. And um, essentially, we're talking about a, a a broker or an influential friend, okay? In the system, I heard a couple of people coming into membership today say, oh, I'm a social worker or I work in schools. In the system, if, a, if a, an underage person, so a young child, gets pulled into a police station uh, to be interviewed under caution, they have to have an adult with them. And if they haven't got a parent, they have to have what we call an appropriate adult with them. And this is a trusted person, and they're doing two things. They're helping uh, protect the child so the child can't be taken advantage of. They're making sure the child understands what's happening, explaining to the child, this is what's happening, these are your rights, this is what's going on. But at the same time, they're representing the child a little bit, and they're able to defend and represent the child and bring their influence to bear. Does that make sense? So that's one example of this kind of two-directional work 
of, of a paraclete. Um, but not just in a police station, but in, in all of life. So Jesus is going to say to his disciples, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Now, an orphan in that society was one of the most vulnerable people in society because they don't have family to protect them, to represent them in the public space, to provide for them, to look after them. Jesus says, I'm not leaving you as orphans because you're going to have the paraclete. So he's going to take responsibility for you as a, as a community. He's going to look after you. Um, you might think of the word uh, fixer. So if you've been watching some of the news about the, the war in Ukraine, sometimes a reporter, like a British reporter, if they're going to go and work in Ukraine, um, they will have a Ukrainian fixer on the ground who speaks the language, knows all the people, knows how the country works, knows how the system works, so they can help the reporter get into the right places and make sense of things. So that they're able to be a bit of a broker for them. Yeah? When we first moved to the UK, um, we wanted to rent a house, but because we hadn't been having a salary in the UK or a bank account in the UK, they wouldn't rent it to us without a guarantor. A guarantor is a respectable person who can prove that they have an income and stuff, and so the, the renter said, okay, I can rent it to you. So these are all little pictures, hopefully, that help us to understand a little bit what, what the disciples would have understood by a paraclete. They would have thought, we're vulnerable in this big, scary world, and Jesus has been the one that's been taking responsibility for us and representing us. He's going, but someone's going to come who's going to take responsibility in that way for our community and help us. So the word advocate is a word that we could use, but not advocate with a capital A like the job, but more like advocacy. So Ian Anderson, as part of our staff team, he's always doing this for people. If there's people that can't pay their bills or are a little bit vulnerable or can't navigate the system or the bailiffs are about to come and throw them out, Ian is phoning people up, talking to the local authority, talking to social services. So he's representing these vulnerable people, but then also he's explaining what's being said back to these vulnerable people. Okay, what you need to do is you need to do this now, and he's simplifying it and explaining it to them. Does that make sense? And so hopefully all of these pictures give us a feel, really, of what they would have understood. The word paraclete, they also used it in the ancient world for if you're sailing your ship into a harbor that you've never been to before, they would get a local guy from that harbor to come aboard your ship to help you navigate in because he knows the way. He's been there. He can look out for the rocks under the water. And so all of these pictures, hopefully, just give us a little feel. Does that make sense? Which is why sometimes we can translate it advocate or helper or counselor. The danger with like counselor is we don't think therapist, right? The Holy Spirit isn't your therapist. It's just important to understand. He's, he's the paraclete. He's the one who's going to come alongside the community, take responsibility for them, and help them navigate this big and scary world. And now Jesus is going to talk in these five verses about what that looks like. So the first one, we see that the Spirit is going to bring the presence of God. And so John 14 from verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the paraclete, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So here he's talking about this, this paraclete is going to come. He's going to be with you. He's going to dwell in you. And again, it's plural. He's talking about the community. So he's going to dwell in each one of you, but also he's going to dwell among you as a community. He's going to, he's going to live among you. He's going to be close to you. He's going to be inside you. He's going to be within you. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit is of inestimable comfort, especially in contexts where the church feels vulnerable. These guys, Jesus is about to be killed. They're about to be exposed to all manner of evil and persecution, and they're terrified, but they're going to know the presence of God with them through the Holy Spirit being amongst them. Great comfort. Great comfort. And so that's the first promise. And just to say, he says, he's going to come, and you will know him. But then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And this is where the Trinity thing gets a bit confusing, right? And I, I'm not going to try and explain the Trinity, because it's not possible. It's designed to confuse our small brains, um, or particularly my small brain. But, so somehow the Holy Spirit is going to be with you, but through the Holy Spirit being with you, Jesus says, I am going to be with you. So the presence of the Spirit is somehow going to be to the disciples the presence of Jesus, but without his body. But it's still him. It's a wonder. It's a mystery. It's also incredibly confusing. And that's okay. And so Jesus is promising there's going to be a community among whom the Spirit dwells and remains. And that's the first thing, a people of the presence of God. Sounds good, hey? The second thing is instruction. The Holy Spirit will bring the instruction of Jesus. So chapter 14 and verse 26. Now remember our vulnerable person and the appropriate adult or the advocate, part of their responsibility is to explain, do you understand what's happening here? Can I, can I take these big, con complicated concepts and help you, vulnerable person, to understand them? Well, that's us. We need the, the things of God explained to us in a way that our tiny little brains can respond. And so Jesus promises the Holy Spirit is going to help us with that. It's like a massive funnel. takes all this stuff and kind of funnels it into us so that we can receive the things of God. And so verse 14 and 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so the Father will send the Spirit in the name of Jesus, he will teach you and all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. So he's saying, don't be anxious, don't be overwhelmed. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand things and explain things to you. Now, big picture, Jesus, and this is important, right? Big picture, the Holy Spirit is talking, uh, Jesus is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in helping the disciples remember all the things that Jesus had taught and done and write them down in the Bible so that we would have them. 
So I don't know, during the three years of Jesus' ministry and teaching and all of that, like whether Matthew or John was thinking the whole time, oh, one day I'm going to write this down into a book. That would make a great book. We'll call it the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know whether he was thinking that or whether he was so caught up in it and it's all happening. But people, these guys, they remembered everything that Jesus had done. Do you remember when he healed that blind guy? Let's tell the story to each other. Let's remember it. And, and people in semi-literate cultures often have incredible memories. So they can retain the information and they can, as a community, check each other's facts and bounce. No, it didn't happen like that. It happened like this. So there's a community preserving the teachings of Jesus. But he says, one day the Holy Spirit is going to remind you and call it to remembrance Essentially, and you're going to write it down, and we're going to have the Gospels, the Bible, so that the, the church who never were there will know exactly what happened. Which is why when we read the Bible, we say this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. These that we're reading today, they're the words of John, but they're also the words of the Holy Spirit. Who John was writing stuff down, and the Holy Spirit was calling things to mind, and he was remembering and understanding and writing them down for us. So that's big picture. But then also, there's a secondary sense of this verse for us. Likewise, the Holy Spirit also takes the teachings of Jesus in the Bible and brings them to our minds. So you can be, you know, the Bible's a big book. and There's probably no one here that's memorized it all. If you've memorized the whole Bible, just give us a wave, please. We just want to, I just want to stop talking and go and sit down. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Um, it's a big book, and we read it. And it gets lodged in our long-term memory. But then in a moment, in a crisis, when we face a difficult situation, the Holy Spirit pulls the right thing. He, like, he, he goes through all the files in our long-term memory. And he finds the bit that we need for today. And he pulls it into our short-term memory. And you go, okay, that's what I need to do today. And so the Holy Spirit also does this for us as individuals. He reminds us of all the things that Jesus has said in the moment in order to help us, in order to guide us. Amen? And the result of this is peace. Peace in the hearts. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Which is interesting, because he's talking about teaching and instruction, but it, then he talks about the heart. So he's not saying teaching is just for your brain. He's saying somehow the teaching and instruction of the Holy Spirit instructs your heart. Wonderful. Number three. Witness, the Spirit bears witness, and so do we. We're just going to ping through these five references that Jesus makes in this section to the Holy Spirit. This is chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me, from the beginning. And so here, we said, it's not just going to preserve the community and keep you safe. He's actually going to keep you on mission. And this is in a context where it's, it's the darkness of the week before Jesus dies. There's betrayal. One of our own, Judas, has betrayed us. So who knows what other snakes there are in this mix? Who, and now I'm looking at my brothers and I'm a little bit like, do I trust you? Do I not trust you? Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I love you, Scott. You're just sitting in the front row, so you're getting it all. That's okay. And so there's a, there's a fear, there's an anxiety, um, and there's a darkness, there's a persecution that's happening for these guys. 
And so the context in chapter 15, Jesus is saying this. In chapter 15, just before this, he says, Yeah, and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. There's not the kind of verses that we often kind of claim in Jesus' name, is it? Lord, you promised persecution. No, 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 we don't do that. Um, but so in this context, to bear witness, it's not just about going, stop your Netflix and chill, get off your sofa, go and tell someone about Jesus. It is that. But also it's talking about how will the church through the generations to come sustain her witness in a hostile world. So it's talking about faithfulness. It's talking about resilience. It's talking about perseverance and courage. And for generations, the people of God will preserve their witness. When the world is pouring cold water, somehow this little flame will not go out. I watch enough Netflix um, to know that in these crime dramas, sometimes there's a key witness that we really need. But there's witness intimidation that happens. The bad guys go round and scare the witness and say, you can't go to court. Otherwise, you know, we're going to do this to your family or whatever. And, and fear so often can stop us witnessing to the truth of Jesus. And there, there could be someone in your circle, and what they really need the thing that's going to make all the difference for them is your witness. But because of witness intimidation, because of our fear, we don't want to look stupid, or we don't want to get it wrong, or we don't want to offend, or we don't want to hurt someone. We don't want to tread on any toes, ruffle any feathers, rock the boat. You know, if a language has lots of little sayings, you know, it's important in that culture. In English, we've got lots of sayings about not offending people because it's a stronghold in British culture, Okay? And somehow, that person needs your witness. Don't suffer witness intimidation. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will witness to me through you, and you also will witness to me. Unbowed, unbent, and unbroken. Amen? Amen. Number four, conviction. He speaks of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You're like, hang on, Jesus, what do you mean? You're going away and that's going to be good for us? That doesn't make any sense. Now I'm just left with him. <laughs> for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he says, one of the things the Holy Spirit does when he comes is he brings conviction into the world. He brings conviction to people, a deep sense of what is right and what is wrong. Now, this is really important because, again, Jesus didn't leave people a manual. He didn't leave people a list of instructions. We know what is right and what is wrong by the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit working in the sanctified consciences of God's people. But, you say, isn't that dangerous? Isn't it dangerous to say, well, everybody can just do what they, oh, well, I feel that this is right. And I've been a pastor long enough to have seen some dumb stuff done in the name of the leading of the Holy Spirit, where people have been, well, I felt that the Holy Spirit told me to leave my wife and go and run off with a new model. Really? The Holy Spirit? Oh, I've heard stuff like that, right? 
Or I felt that the Holy Spirit told me to stop giving my money to the church and instead to buy a new car. Mm. I bet he did. And so how do we avoid the dangers of this hyper-individualistic interpretation of the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's easy. We're talking about a spirit-filled community. We're talking about a people who all receive the conviction of the Spirit, who hear from God together, who can help each other, who can say to each other, yeah, you think that sounds like the Holy Spirit? I think that sounds selfish, arrogant, stupid, and you're definitely not hearing from God. We need each other, right? We need each other. You need people to tell you you're selfish and arrogant and stupid, and I need it too most days, and my wife is a gift from the Lord. And we see there are, there are examples in the New Testament, all the way through the book of Acts, of how this works, um, of how a community can hear from God together, weigh things together. One of the best examples is Acts chapter 15. They're facing this massive challenge of, can Gentiles become Christians? What does it mean? And what do they do? They meet together. Someone tells some stories of what God's done. Paul brings Titus, who is a Gentile, and goes, look, I've got one here. <laughs> Exhibit A, look what the Holy Spirit has done. James stands up and reads the Bible, and then together they agree it seemed pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to us. We sensed and discerned together what the Holy Spirit was saying because we could see what he'd done in Titus's life. We could see what he'd done in Peter's story. We could see what he was saying in the Bible. We put it all together with the wisdom God gave us, and we concluded the conviction of the Holy Spirit was leading us in this direction. That's why we're talking about a community full of the Holy Spirit, friends, because we need each other, need each other's gifts, need each other's antennae hearing from God, need each other to feed into what God is leading us into together as a church community. Amen? And then number five, finally, the voice of God. So chapter 16 and verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And again, just to note, the, the, there are personal pronouns here. Jesus is introducing a person. He doesn't say, the Spirit will glorify me. It will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says, he. Uh, and so, with, he, Jesus is saying, this is a person that's going to come and do this. He doesn't have a body, but he is a person, and he's amongst us, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And so here, uh, there's lots of talking about speaking and declaring to you. So the Spirit speaks to the community. This is communal. For the church to be a community of the voice of God, it's not just the leaders who hear from God. It's not just the people that have time to pray a lot that hear from God. Um, everyone here should know the privilege of growing in and discerning and hearing and sharing the voice of God through the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's truth aligned. So it says he's the spirit of truth. And so it will measure up to the truth that we've had passed down to us the Bible, our understanding of who Jesus is. It won't contradict it. If we all felt the Holy Spirit telling us to tear up the Bible and start reading John Grisham instead, we'd be missing something, right? Because it says here is the spirit of truth and it's aligned to the truth that's been revealed and passed down to us through generations in the scriptures that we trust. 
Nothing wrong with John Grisham, but I'm not building my life on that, yeah? Authoritative. So he won't just speak on his own authority, but with what he's heard. So the Spirit is in the presence of God, hearing things spoken that he then passes on to us. And it's authoritative. So if you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, go and do this. Go and serve this person. Go and step into this space. That's not just a suggestion. It's authoritative. We obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's predictive. He will declare to you the things that are to come. God knows the future. The Holy Spirit can reveal the future to people. We believe that. We believe that's part of the prophetic nature of the church. In fact, he loves to do this. And it's Jesus rich. He will glorify me, says Jesus, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is full of Jesus. And we'll see that. If we're worshiping in the Spirit, we'll be singing songs about Jesus. If we're living in the Spirit, we'll be living a life that glorifies Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right, so, in conclusion, let's be a community of the Holy Spirit who? And then we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. Who experience His presence. Just even now. Welcome the Holy Spirit. Where you're, where you're sitting, just know His presence. He wants to be with you. We can know him. It says here, the world can't see him, but we can see him. What does it mean? He's invisible. Yeah, but you can see what the Holy Spirit's doing, right? You can see what the wind is doing by how the leaves are moving. You can see if someone's experienced trauma by the way that pain comes out in their life. You can see if someone's grown up in privilege by their arrogance and the way they stand. In the, so these are invisible things, but you can see what they do in a person in the same way the Holy Spirit's invisible, but we see him because we see what he's doing in the church and in people's lives. We obey his instruction. We sustain his witness. We discern his conviction and we hear his voice. So right now, let's just say, come Holy Spirit.